everybody. It is episode 106 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from actually Tyler, Texas today, visiting my family here in East Texas for the holidays, but excited to be recording my last episode of 2018 with you. For that, we've got a very special guest who will be riffing with me not only on our opening topic, but also digging in on his life in our interview discussion as we go. But we've got U.S. Marathon champion who just won U.S. Marathon champs at the California International Marathon here a few weeks ago. Brogan Austin is joining us. Brogan was a relative unknown going into the California International Marathon, certainly not one of the named favorites that many were talking about and we didn't talk about, but ultimately pulled off the win after having many, many years in college and then post-collegiately of not getting the results that he wanted. So we're going to dig in today on what helped keep him in the sport and how he was able to turn it around from having results that were not to his expectations in college and early post-collegiately to being able to get this big breakthrough result here at the U.S. Marathon Championship. So we'll dig into that with him. I'm super excited to to hear about his journey through some of those ups and downs to hopefully bring you some inspiration in the ups and downs that you may be facing in your running journey. In addition with him, we're going to open by talking about results from 2018. I've got a top three world and top three U.S. performances of 2018 that we're going to dig into going from three to two to one. And I want to get Brogan's input on those different results as we call them out here. So we'll get to that first with him and then we'll go into an interview talking a little bit more about his career in running. And of course, I would love to get your feedback on those top results that I'm mentioning. If you've got some others that you'd like to call out or maybe you want to challenge me on that list, please definitely do so. You can always reach out via Chris at roguerunning.com and Tell me what you think, share some of the results that you think should have made the list, and of course, I might just talk about it on the next episode. So, for the record though, I think the top two results for the world and American, I don't think anybody can argue with, but it'll be interesting to see you try. With that though, we'll welcome Mr. Brogan Austin. All right, so we're welcoming Brogan Austin to the show. How are you doing today, Brogan? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us, Brogan. As I mentioned in the intro, U.S. Marathon champion from CIM earlier in December. We're going to start by talking about some, well, what we'll call running current events, but really wanted to recap the year in running. And so I've got a top three set of performances, both world and U.S. based for 2018. We'll start with the world performances, Brogan, and I wanted to get your input on these. I've got top three. I'm going to do uh, these in reverse order. So we'll go number three up to number one. Number three on my list for 2018 top running performances goes to Jakob Ingerbritsen finishing first as a 17-year-old in the 1500 and the 5K in the European Championships. Pretty impressive from the young brother of the Ingerbritsen trio beating his older two brothers in those events. Are you a fan of Jakob? I'm a fan of all of the, the, the brothers out there. I, I have a brother myself, and so I, I know how that relationship goes. And 
I, I'm very curious as to how their dynamic is outside of running. I'm sure they're they're super competitive and everything, but um, just how they've stormed onto the scene and then him being only 17 and running as fast as he, he's been running has just been awesome. And he's super competitive at any level. So I, I'm also a huge fan of, of the, the brothers out there. I heard you mention in an interview that you and your brother were super competitive growing up. Oh, did yeah. that did that extend to running too, or was that just everything and anything? Um, not so much in running. I I suppose we idolized each other um, for our you know current positions. I had a I'm about four years older than him, so I have quite the advantage. So. I, I sort of paid the way and made all the mistakes for him. And then he sort of perfected the art in, in high school. And um, he, he's still running in college right now at the University of Louisville. And I, I really hope he, he runs professionally after. And I mean, he, he takes chunks out of me slowly but surely. So hopefully we'll be on the same level at some point. I think I'd be scared, scared of anything if he, he started beating me. But uh, yeah, we, we, we have an interesting dynamic that we, we don't really have to compete in running yet, but everything else, it's it's do or die for us. <laughs> nice. Uh, so does that mean you still have a faster 5K PR than he does? Uh, I still have a faster 5K, but he's he's got me in the mile, embarrassingly enough. Oh, That's, wow. his, his high school mile was like 407 or 409 or something like that. So wow. and, and I think I've only run like 410. I, I, I plan to beat that this year though. I I can't let I can't let him have that street cred. Right. So so there you go. Number three to Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Amazing result. Number two, I'm giving to Beatrice Chepkoech running the world record in the women's steeple by eight seconds, beating it by eight seconds in Monaco. She absolutely shattered the record and the field that day in an amazing result there. One that Maybe whether or not that result is clean, but you got to say hats off to Beatrice for that result. To this point, we don't, you know, have any further evidence that, you know, that that's a, a questionable result. And I have said on this podcast that if if there is one of the African runners, East Africans, who could do it because of her beautiful hurdle form, she is the one. So, is that a result that you followed at all, Brogan? Yeah, I remember uh, stumbling upon that and. I think anything that the women do is just insanely impressive because most of the time, if there's a world record or a big race, they're usually doing all that solo. And I feel like that's just infinitely harder than, whereas like the men's field, we usually, in most cases, there's more depth and there's a lot of people to compete with or somebody you're running scared of, or it it allows you to take it up another level. Whereas the women just to go out and grind and, do it at, on such an impressive level, especially in the steeplechase, to, to crush the record by eight seconds is super impressive. That's just that's just a, a huge mental game that um, is just super impressive on any level. Did you ever run the steeple in college? I always wanted to, but I was always also injured. So <laughs> um, jumping over hurdles <laughs> or jumping onto the water pit or anything like that it was was uh something i i personally thought was not a good idea nor did my coach but i i still think the steeplechase would probably be my my best event i i begged in high school to 
try to do the 400 hurdles, but my coach wasn't having it then either. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're a marathoner, so there's probably no going back. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. (laughs) And then number one, I think this would be easy to guess by anybody, is Elliot Kipchoge's 201 world record in the marathon in Berlin. An absolutely unbelievable result, shattering the previous world record by more than a minute. He did it going away in style. Even though it was impressive, not many of us were shocked at the result because of how he's been able to run in the marathon through the years. What do you think of his result in Berlin? I, I, The man deserved it. The man's done everything in the marathon. And I honestly didn't know much about him until the Breaking 2 project. And I remember watching that and just being in awe. I, I was a huge pessimist. Like, I was super pessimistic. I was like, none of these guys are going to run break two. <laughs> Nor is anybody going to get close. Everybody's going to go out. And then, like, at half marathon, they're going to start blowing up. So when I was watching that race, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And maybe I'm extremely biased being a runner, but just to – like every split he was running was just, I was in awe and just running 435 pace and then itself for a mile is impressive, let alone a 5k. And then he did it for a 10k. And then he did that 10k four more times. And, uh, just to run a 2830 10k is that's like a professional caliber athlete on, you know, in, in any country. And, uh, he was doing it for four times that distance and he did it. So he made it look so easy. And I remember with 10 K to go, I'm like, man, he's actually going to do it. This man's going to break two. And, uh, I've been following his story ever since that. And for him to have that massive PR and, uh, I, I was, I was so excited about that. And he's just such a humble, uh, man and loves the sport for the sport that it is. And it's really cool to follow his story. And he deserves everything that he's achieved. At any point, is it demotivating to see something like that? You know, you know, oh, yeah. I've never run anywhere close to those times. So I, it, for me, it's just otherworldly no matter what. But for somebody like you, you know, who who've run 29 minutes and change in the 10K, to see him do that, you know, 10K after 10K in a marathon, does it make you want to throw your hands up and be like, man, there's no way. Oh, yeah. I can't and, touch it. That's that's what's the great thing about distance running is you if you put in the effort over a long time, like you're gonna have these compounding returns. And uh I, I would like to believe that he feels about the same pain as we do. He's just invested so much of his time at a young age to, you know, adulthood and he's just reaping the benefits. And it also inspires me to keep on running too, because I I am still uncovering talents that I didn't think were possible. You know, I, in middle school, I think my PR on the 800 was 228. And then in high school, I think I didn't break five until my sophomore year. And now I'm running marathons at five minute pace. And, you know, if, if you would have told me as an eighth grader that I'd be able to run five minute pace for 26 miles, I would have laughed at you. It's just, it's just silly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know, I, that's, that's the fun thing about running is we all have our own personal goals and we can keep, you know, training and getting better and it makes the, the sport exciting and super relatable. So, I mean, like it's super, it's, it's super defeating to, to see him just crush these, 
these 435 miles and I, I, I could only wish that I could ever run that fast, but it, it also inspires me to, to keep running hard and seeing what boundaries I can keep breaking. So those are the world results we'll highlight. Now I want to talk about the U.S. results. <clears throat> and no offense to you, Brogan, these are all females making my top three for the year. <laughs> Number three is going to be Shelby Houlihan for her 14.34 to break the American record in the 5K by four seconds. Shannon Robery's prior record. Shelby also had an amazing year competing in the 1500 as well with a couple Diamond League wins. She also won the double 1500 5K at the U.S. Champs and basically proved that there's she's the one to beat going into 2019 and 2020 at the 15 and the 5 for the women. What do you think of Shelby Houlihan? Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Shelby Houlihan. She's, she's a native of Iowa, so uh, we grew up racing at the same state meets in, in high school. And uh, I've, I've followed her story throughout. She's always just been a machine and has been extremely good at any, anything from the 800 to, to the two-mile in high school. And then uh, she's just really blossomed in, in college and even post-collegiately. So it's, it's easy to be a fan of a fellow Iowa native, but she, she also just rocks it, makes running look super easy, and then just has a monster kick. So it's always fun to watch her um, unleash that in, in the second half of racing. And, uh, you know, the women have been kicking butt, so the, the U.S. women d- deserve it for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, watching her in the final hundred of some of these races this year with that sort of warp speed gear that she finds at the end has been really, really impressive. All right. Second, I'm going to give the result or the the second best Americans this year to her teammate from the Bowman Track Club, Courtney Fricks, who ran a nine flat to get the U.S. record in the steeple in the same race that Beatrice Jepkowicz broke the world record. Also beat Emma Coburn for the first time in that race to potentially take the U.S. sort of favorite title from her, which is a big shift on the women's side. What do you think of Courtney's results and what might be to come for her as we go into 2019? Yeah, that, that whole Bowerman track club, those, those group of girls have just been dominating here the, the past few years. And it's, you know, it's easy to rally behind that group and uh, they've had tons of success. And Courtney Frerichs has really made a name for herself and it's exciting to see new faces to the sport and i mean i know she's been around and, and doing well for for a few years but uh i don't think you can take an american record away from any anybody she's she's the best the greatest steeplechaser that the u.s has ever had and there's been a lot of names that have gone through the history books but to, to say you're the best of all time is uh a, a huge accomplishment and you know nobody can ever take that away from her so that's, yeah. that's super exciting it's going to be fun to watch with her and Emma and her teammate Colin Quigley going head to head, trying to do big things in 2019 and 2020. And my top result for an American this year, I think this one also might be fairly predictable, but that one has to go also to a marathoner, 
Desiree Linden winning Boston this year in what was absolutely insane conditions to to be the the, the best uh, survivalist on that day. She gets the top result for the year. Did you watch that one? Yeah, I, I followed along with that. And it, it, all of it was just so ridiculous. And, you know, I think Des, like, checked out about halfway to when Shannon stopped to, to use the restroom and she, she held up for her because she thought Shannon may have had the, the, the great day to pull out the victory. And, you know, that slowing down ended up helping her out. And then she bounced back and ended up coming away with the victory. And, and the leaders had pulled away at that at that point, but ended up coming back. It's just that's just the the marathon in a nutshell. It's so ridiculous, and you never know what's going to happen. And you just got to keep sticking to your game plan and don't give up. And she's been a finder, fighter and a grinder of the sport for many many years. And uh, Boston has always been one of her big taglines of key races because. She is a, a grinder. She's not necessarily the fastest in, the, in any field, but um, she can handle the hills. And, uh, the, and, and the, the dream race finally came to fruition. And, um, it's always exciting to see success come to people who, who just put their head down and grind and they it, earn what they've worked for. So easy to support your decision on giving her the, the title of best best race for the, the females of 2018 or even any male or female yeah 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 so d- does watching that make you want to run boston or not <laughs> um i i ha- always have an affinity for for boston so my dad runs every year and that's by far his favorite race and he always begs me to run boston it's like you got to run boston you got to run boston I'm like, not yet, not yet. It's like <laughs> down the road, I, def- I definitely will run Boston, but it just hasn't worked in my training plan yet. And I had even, you know, proposed the idea to my coach of running Boston this year. And he's like, nope, we're not going to, we're not going to run any marathons again until 2020. So till the trials, uh, till the trials. Yep. So put the kaput on that pretty quickly so I'm, i mean i'm not i'm not offended at all i don't want to run a marathon any anytime soon either so <laughs> I, I, i'm all for it well here's the hoping you run the olympic marathon before boston exactly yes so you mentioned your dad and i think that's a good segue to talking about your story i know that he was a big influence on you and in getting into running growing up so talk more about how you got into the sport and how it progressed for you from high school to college to now you bet. So, uh, it all, it all started, um, I guess back in the day, my, my dad got a little chunky and my, my mom proposed the idea of him losing weight. And, uh, so he, he started picking up running and eventually triathlons and started getting in better shape. And all the while, you know, I was, being exposed to the sport and um was sort of our connection piece of hey dad you run i can run as well so he uh i don't know supported me as well he he actually mapped out this one mile route from our house and uh every now and then i would i would just run a mile out and then walk a mile back and then i would let him know that you know hey i i ran 
I, I'm like you, I'm, I'm a runner as well. And then, you know, to, you know, make me happy, put me in, in races, these small little road races and I would do all right, but it was never my deliberate idea of being a runner. It was just kind of like an after the fact, I actually grew up playing baseball and that was sort of the thing that everybody did in, in Boone, Iowa. And so, um, our, my main thing was to call the neighbor kids and play some pickup games of baseball or football and stuff. Uh, so I always thought I was going to be a, a baseball or a football player when I grew up. I was going to be a professional football player. So, so I set my dreams pretty high, and then uh, reality came, and all the other boys hit puberty and <laughs> hit growth spurts and got way bigger than me. And in, in eighth grade, I I just got whooped up on. I remember. Uh, there was a running back and I tried to go for the tackle and he just lit me up. And, uh, after that I was like, I think I'm going to do cross country next year. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I didn't start running, you know, deliberately, I would say until my freshman year of high school. And then I, I tried to take it pretty seriously. Like I trained all summer and, uh, I made the varsity team my freshman year, and uh, we Boone had a, a pretty good distance team, and so I had a, a lot of good leaders to sort of show me the ropes, and you know I got a lot of hand-me-down shoes and hand-me-down track spikes to get me through the sport, and then um, you know just kept plugging away, saw some success, and you know everybody likes to win, so um, just kept plugging away at it. And then I, so I guess that's, that's sort of my high school story is, uh, I, I really wasn't in love with the sport until I, I started seeing some success and I had some external influencers to say, Hey, you're not a big football player, but you're built pretty well for, for distance running. And, uh, I ended up winning a few state titles in high school and it allowed me to run division one college at drake university and uh you know i struggled a lot at, at drake just because i was overtraining. i was trying to implement the same uh training philosophies in high school and then just went way overboard and then really burned myself out in college didn't really have a lot of success in college but i knew i had a lot of potential and uh just kept training kept sticking with it and uh, had a little bit of success, but not as much as I, I knew I, I could blossom into. And then most recently I, I hooked up with um, Tom Schwartz, uh, Mr. Tin Man, and he's really um, made my training come to fruition. So that's the long, boring story, but <laughs> uh, it's, it's been a fun ride. What, how has your purpose in the sport evolved through that? You know, obviously you were doing it early on as a yeah. connection to your dad and then, you know, it became a, maybe a, a matter of necessity in high school because you weren't big enough for some of the impact sports and then, you know, it evolved from there to sticking with it because you became good at it and you're getting results and accolades till now when you're doing it post-collegiately, you've got a full-time job as an IT project manager, but you're still doing it. 
So how has your purpose evolved in the sport through the years? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. And I, I, I think everybody can relate with the idea that your purpose always changes in life or even your identity. I feel like you're always evolving into a different person or, or a new person. You have new interests, um, new ideas and beliefs. And, you know, the same with my purpose in running. So I guess in, in high school, it was trying to find an identity or like a, a purpose or something that I could excel at and be purposeful in life. And in college, it, it was my identity. It was how people identified with me or or even connected with me. So it was, it almost became a love-hate relationship. It's, it's like I had already dug halfway to China and I could either try to climb out or I could keep on digging uh, and get go all the way to China. And uh, that's, that's where I was in college. I had dug so deep into running. I had invested so much of my life and I committed way too much and tried to bite off more than I could handle. And um, wasn't having any success. And it's kind of like I can either give up here and pursue my, my career and really focus on that. Or I can just keep digging. I can, I can see, like I, I know I've done this wrong, I've done this wrong. And then maybe if I do these things right, I can, I can see what my true potential is. And um, my, my senior year of college, I just had a terrible year and it just left a super sour like taste in my mouth. And I'm, I'm a huge competitor. I hate losing. And as, as I've alluded to before, and I'm, I'm a big competitor with my brother. And so I just had these terrible PRs that, you know, is some people would be pretty happy with and like, they're, they're not bad PRs, but me personally, like I, I knew I've, I had felt it in training. Like I, there'd be these bouts where I would finally feel fresh or my training would go well and I would rip these big workouts, but I could just never put it together in a race. And so I knew the talent was there. Uh, I just had to uncover it. And so my senior year, I was so close to having these great races, but then something would inevitably come up like an injury or I would be anemic or I would just be overtrained. And, uh, I, I remember distinctly going up to my coach after my last race and I, I apologized to him for not trusting him with his training more because he was a great coach and knew what he was doing. But I had an, an ego in high school that I was the best in high school. And, um, I was could, could clearly be the best in college too if I just applied the same principles and um, ultimately that was my demise. And so I remember going up to him after my race. I'm like, this is this is not how it ends. This is this is I'm not quitting until like I achieve what I know I can achieve. And then once I've achieved those things, I can feel assured that the past 10 years weren't a failure. Like they were worth something to me. And so that's, that's been my driver force driving force. Um, post collegiately is I had a sour mouth, sour taste in my mouth and I'm on a mission to prove 
not only to other people, um, but to myself that I am worth X times and I can compete with the best. And that was, that was a super frustrating thing for me in college is like people would be like, man, you did, you did great that race. I'd be like, internally, I would, I would just like try to put on a, a happy face and say, Hey, thanks. I, I really appreciate you like supporting me. But it, like deep down inside, I'm like, that was a terrible race. That was that it's like, if I if only I could show you my true potential, like if, if only I could un- uncover like how good I really am. And that was a super frustrating thing for me. And, um, even, even post-collegiately, I, I struggled to even figure out the right training. And so to now to, to finally, after all these years of, you know, it's been like four or five years of struggling and, um, it's all paid off here at the end. So it's, it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting ride. So you've got a big chip on your shoulder. <laughs> Something. To oh put, yeah. Sounds like. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's, I, I still have my, my track PRs are from <clears throat> 2013. So <clears throat> that's five years ago. And I, I'm still out to, to prove that those times aren't really me. I know I'm, I'm still way better than those times. And, uh, you know, I've, I've mapped out races for the springtime and hopefully I can chip them away. It's interesting what you talk about there of having those results where everybody's telling you, Hey, that was a good race. That was a good race because it might be objectively, you know, a decent race in this, in the spectrum of races, but when you know it's not your best or what you wanted, it's impossible to hear those messages. Oh yeah. And I think that's true for a lot of our listeners. A lot of our listeners are half marathoners, marathoners who are just trying to break their own personal bests. And you have those days where, you know, on paper it might look good relative to others, but it isn't what you wanted. And it's hard to hear those words when you're, you're beating yourself up inside yeah yeah that that is that is exactly right and you know everybody battles that and it's 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 almost like a slap to the face and you, and you know you you have to appreciate all the people who like support you and tell you good job after a race or you know even even my parents struggle with like you know trying to understand how they should support me and um it's like you don't always have your your best race but um you, you got to take the the small milestones when you can and um, be appreciative of just being able to run in the sport and being healthy and um taking away learning experiences not not everything is an ultimate failure um it's also a learning experience i remember distinctly in in high school uh, there's a i'm I'm sure a lot of people have heard of the Drake Relays, but if you haven't, it's um, a really big event or big race, sort of like the Penn Relays. It's one of the the pinnacle races um, of of the year for for colleges, but also for high schools. So um, Iowa high schools or Iowa student athletes will um, you have to run throughout the year, and then they take the top 24 times from any any class of of high school students so um you have to qualify 
for for this event and um i qualify i didn't qualify for it until my senior year of high school and uh i ended up getting second and i i it was such a failure to me um and i was so frustrated but my dad sat me down and he said everything happens for a reason and you need to you know reflect on on why you lost how you lost and then be deliberate on on how you can learn from it for the future and i was you know i reflected on it and my coach reflected on it and we figured out a game plan as to to how to be better in the future and then i ended up racing that same athlete at state and i ended up winning and so it's it's little things like that it's 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 good to have failures if we didn't have failures then then we wouldn't try to change things and we wouldn't become better so good competition and failure is extremely important wise words from your dad for sure i want to dig into your challenges in college you mentioned earlier in this interview and i've heard you talk about another interviews dealing with anemia and overtraining no anemia is something that's a challenge for a lot of people in our sport it tends to present more in women um but but guys struggle with it as well and i think there are men who are struggling with it who don't know they're struggling with it because it's not something that is as top of mind as a diagnosis for men so how did you figure out you had that issue what did you do about it what was that journey like dealing with it yeah so that that was that was pretty much all of my my college career was just battling anemia and you 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 will definitely know when you have it or i i also attribute overtraining you will definitely know when you're overtraining it's if you're if you're not happy you're tired all the time uh, it's hard to stay motivated or you don't enjoy running uh, those symptoms are exactly the same as anemia and exactly the same as overtraining. So they're, they're one, if not the same, and everything is just, you're just exhausted all the time. And I, I was too relentless in my training. I, I would just keep grinding through everything and I ignored all of the, the signals and I just, I just chalked it up to anemia. It's like, I'm going to feel this way forever. And I just have to learn how to buck up and perform under these expectations. So, I mean, I went to, I, I, I went to doctors all the time. I went to blood specialists. We try to figure it out. And I, I would get my blood drawn like every two weeks and they try to prescribe like I had normal iron levels, so my body had enough iron, which is like a key ingredient to making more blood cells. And uh, so, so being anemic for people who don't know is um, your blood platelets bring oxygen to your muscles, and when you're anemic, you don't have the normal amount of blood platelets, so you're you're low on blood, and so it's almost like you're running at elevation. You have a detriment um, to your running. And I, I went to a bunch of doctors and blood specialists to try to figure out what was wrong with me. And 
they kept prescribing me iron pills or stuff like that. And I mean, like my iron levels were normal. So it was just, my body wasn't recognizing that my blood was low for normal, uh, humans. And, uh, eventually I went to this blood specialist and he, he just said, Hey, this is probably just a phase in your life, or maybe it's something you're going to have to learn to live with. But I, for the life of me, can't, I have no idea what what the issue is and hopefully you'll grow out of this um and we never ultimately figured out what what the problem was so mm-hmm. i i really just accepted the fact that this is going to be my my life going forward and it i mean it's it, it's it was a super deflating feeling too because i i was super extroverted and bubbly in high school and then in college i was is almost some like somebody I was a filled up balloon and somebody popped me and I was just deflated and tired all the time. And so it's, it's sort of changed my demeanor as well. But, um, post collegially, I started under training and I started feeling like myself again. And I believe, I think it was all due to me overtraining. I, my body was probably in a funk and my hormones were messed up and, I I think my body was just responding in a weird way, telling me to to calm down, stop doing so much, telling me to rest and recover, and uh, I I ignored all the signs. So if if anybody is dealing with chronic anemia or they have any of those symptoms of I feel tired all the time, it's so important to undertrain. I, I can't iterate that enough. And everybody always says, oh yeah, definitely under undertrain. But if you're not enjoying running, you're you're probably doing too much. And um, definitely back it off. Like I, you don't have to run 100 mile weeks. You your your body will tell you when enough's enough. And you definitely just got to listen to it. Like I, for me, I I ran. 90 I, I primarily ran 90 mile weeks leading up to this marathon and i would bounce anywhere between 80 to 100 um but primarily sitting at 90 mile weeks and um i was still able to run a 212 marathon so what did overtraining look like was it just too much mileage was it too hard all the time what what were the specific characteristics of what you were doing wrong yeah. So my, my core, I was just trying to do too much. I tried to add intensity. I tried to add too much quality. I tried to add, uh, mileage. So for example, and, um, I guess I'll, I'll just say my, my peak. So at my peak of overtraining, I would have three staple workouts a week and then also a long run. And so on, um, on Tuesdays, I would do 100 meter hill repeats, and uh, I think at my peak, I did 114 hill repeats. So this 100 meter, 100 <laughs> at meter one time, hill, at one time, yeah. So wow, it was like a eight to ten percent hill that I would do at a stride effort. So basically, mile pace, mile to 3k pace. And then I would jog down. And so I would be out there for two hours running up this hill, just 100, 114 times. And wow. and then two days later, I would do an eight to 10 mile tempo. And that would be around five to five, 10 pace. 
and then two days later i would um run 800 meter hill repeats and the grade would be about seven percent and uh and so i would just be and i think i did that 14 times too <laughs> and so i was just running and then on my long and then on the next on sundays i would just do a long run so i would just go out and try to run a quick long run so i i was running about 100 to 110 miles a week and then doing these insane workouts uh or i guess what i be believe to be insane workouts and then just the accumulation of just doing that week after week and not really letting the body rest and it, it just accumulated to too much where, where did the idea come from to run 1400 meter hill repeats because <laughs> i know your college coach wasn't telling you to do that oh heavens no yeah so <laughs> and honestly so there was a a guy in in my hometown who who was a kicker for the dolphins and he but the first idea it came from was from him and he said all the best athletes run hill repeats so i i went out to my local hill and i would just run up and down this this hill and i was like so how many times do i run up this is he's like you could do it like 20 times so i i just went out to this 100 meter hill and i ran up it up and down it 20 times but then uh eventually my senior year uh i there's this coach who who reached out to me and he saw me at the, the state meet my junior year and he's like i think you have some potential i think you could be be pretty good and um he had the philosophy of running hills as well so that's that's where i got my training template from and i think the most we ever did was probably 50 to 60 100 meter hill repeats <laughs> and uh i got way better i i got so much better and that got me so hungry to to do more and more and so i went from oh boy I, I probably went from like a 206 800 to 154 and then a 425 to a 415 and then a 944 to a 914 so i had a huge year of getting better just just one year of training not even one year of training of doing more hills and so i got addicted i got addicted to the training and um i figured that was the training that makes you better and um i went from running 25 to 30 miles a week to running 70 miles a week and i got significantly better so i just tried to apply the same formula and then just got too carried away with it <laughs> wow and i and i and i and i probably if i would have just done what i did my senior year of high school and just kept doing that for four years of college i i probably would have destroyed any performances that i ever did in in college i just you know i just got too carried away i guess <laughs> that's insane uh but yeah it would make sense that you were overtrained oh yeah for sure yeah <laughs> now i want to talk about switching gears a little bit to your be the beginning of your post-collegiate career you ran your first marathon 2016 at the trials in la on a very, very warm day, ran a 224 there and finished 39th on that day, which I think got into the 80s. Talk about your trials experience the first time. What did you learn? 
And what do you think you'll carry forward to 2020? Mm -hmm. So that, that whole experience was, was pretty silly. I, uh, was coming, I was living in Madison, Wisconsin at the time. And I was of course injured. Um, so I didn't have any training. I had, I guess I had easy miles in, and I had my base miles in, but I wasn't able to do very many workouts. I actually only did one workout leading up to that race, uh, because I think I strained my calf. So I was just doing easy days and mileage leading up to that race. And then also the kicker, the day that I left um, to go to L.A., it was two degrees in Wisconsin. So going from two degrees to it was I recall it was being it was 88 degrees for for the race day. And so I had absolutely no training and no heat acclimation. (laughs) But that was key for that day. I I had a phenomenal day given the circumstances and, um, you know, I was extremely fresh for the race and it was says because it was such a hot day, nobody was running fast that day. And I, I just had a conservative approach of trying to run to 20 pace. And I felt like that would have been top 20 or so. And so I, I went with that game plan and, and ultimately ended up blowing up. I didn't know what to expect for the marathon, but I went out slow and finished slower <laughs> and it was just an absolutely brutal experience. I remember guys were crossing the finish line and uh, crying because they were cramping up so bad. Just seeing all these grown men on the ground grabbing something, cramping. And I could feel my body doing the same thing. Uh, I, there was, my muscles were about to tense up. So I remember I just kept walking. I'm like, I'm not going to be one of those dudes on the ground who, who never get up again. <laughs> I could just feel my muscles just cramping up and hating me for what I had done. And I, I had, hadn't done anywhere near enough training too. So it was such a shock to the system. I, I was so sore after that. I, uh, I had, uh, about, you know, I had two weeks of, um, where I was sore and I couldn't walk downstairs or do anything of the sorts. <laughs> so it was a, a pretty brutal experience. Um, so did it make you hungry for more or make oh, you think, I don't know what I'm going to do with this marathon oh, thing? Oh, heavens no. I was like, I, I do not want to run a marathon anytime soon or ever again. <laughs> and so uh, I, I actually vouched that I wouldn't uh, run another marathon again for, you know, two years or, or even ever again after I experienced that, that first marathon. It was super scarring. And uh, I always joke with people that, I would never run a marathon again, but, but here I am, um, joining, joining the ranks of the marathon in, in deep down inside. I knew it was going to be something that I would try again, but, um, it was such a scarring experience. I wasn't <laughs> going to jump back into it anytime soon. Well, it took you almost three years, right? So yeah. Oh yeah. So it, yeah, it was that scarring because oh, your, yeah. second, was... your second marathon was CIM just a yeah. few weeks ago. Yeah, it was it was an, a pain that I've I've never experienced before. There, there's actually, so they say there are two things in life that your body forgets, and the first being um, childbirth, and then the other one is is running a marathon because it's just, and it's a, just like a, a really tough pain, an unbearable pain 
and our it's a but it's still a necessity for for us so your, your body just ultimately forgets that it, it went through that pain so you can do it again so I, I i forgot what my marathon experience felt like and uh here i am back at it so sometime between that race and cim you found your new coach tom schwartz they call mm-hmm. him the 10 man he leads a group of runners called 10 man elite how did you find him and I want to particularly talk about the trust and bond you guys have developed because as I've heard you talk about him in other interviews, you clearly trust him explicitly, but that's a process to develop in a coach. So how did that relationship form with you guys? Yeah. So, so I've, I've been studying him for, I guess, or not him particularly, but his athletes for a while. And over the, over the year, um, they've had tons of success. They've always been super consistent and they've continuously been getting better. And as I've alluded to before, I don't really know how to train myself, but, um, I know how to overtrain myself and I know how to undertrain myself. And I've picked up the nuances of running and so are sort of the key components, but I've never really been able to put the pieces together perfectly and I was just going through a lot of trial and error of trying to figure out what works well, what doesn't work well. And in distance running, you only have so many years to perfect the art. And I had gotten to a spot where the 5K and 10K, I had a, a pretty generic or pretty good idea of what type of training needed to be done to run it at a, a decent level. But the marathon was just a whole nother beast. And um, I didn't have time to, to play trial now or, or try to figure it out on my own. Uh, I'm, I'm also a super frugal person. So uh, I didn't want to go out and try to pay for a coach. Or um, I think that was, I just, I always have these personal egos that I have to overcome. But after watching the, the 10 men and elite men just progressively get better and me uh, progressively have these stagnant years of um, poor training and then just making all these coaching mistakes of myself. I, I was sort of just fed up with myself and knew I had to make a change. And uh, it was, it was easy to pull the trigger once I, once I saw the results. Uh, and then also <clears throat> I had a, a touch base with Tom and he is a very confident person. I, so he, he doesn't have a lot, a lot of marathoners that we, we hear about or talk about. Um, so that was the first question I asked him. I said, Tom, you, you've had a lot of success at the shorter distances with the mile, the 5K, the 10K. But how about the marathon? Like, I, uh, Do you train athletes in the marathon? And I remember him just saying, Brogan, I'm I'm the best coach there is. I I I I know what to do, and you're going to be good under me. And so I've I've coached athletes before that have run 216, um, but you're you're going to be great if you if you run under me. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. I'm like this man is the most confident person I've ever met. And uh, we we talked about training, and I was still iffy at first, but. Uh, my training had gone so poorly that I, I was ready, ready to pull the trigger to 
just start working with him and take a chance with him. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of failures and to, to finally have successes makes you buy into something much more. And, um, you know, I've, I've had failures and struggles for such a long time that finally finding my beacon of light, it's like finally someone saved me from drowning and, um, you know, you just become attached to that person. So it's, I've, I've put on all these years of hard work and to now finally have someone uncover my talents has, you know, just been a huge blessing and he's done it for other people and he's most recently done it for me. And I, I, I mean, you can't not speak highly of a person who, who does that for you. So, so you yeah. knew he was confident, but at what point, but I would imagine you're still maybe in the back of your mind thinking, ah, is this guy overconfident? Like, is this a real deal or what? <laughs> and what there had to have been a turning point in your training with him where suddenly you're like, okay, this guy's the real deal. Was there yeah. a moment like that for you? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I definitely questioned it at first. I'm like, come on. There's no, nobody is that confident. I'm like, he's just doing his pitch to me and trying to get me to buy into the program. But you know, I could, I could weekly or even monthly, I could feel myself just getting better. I could feel myself recovering faster. I could feel the paces getting easier. And I had never felt that in training before. I could just gradually feel myself getting better, which was when I started feeling that, that was that was immediately when I started buying into it. I, I knew what he was prescribing me was working. And then ultimately when I had my, my first big race at the, the USA 10 mile championships and I PR'd by over a minute, I was instantly hooked on hooked on the training and then even his just coaching philosophy in general. So no 100 meter hill repeats anymore. <laughs> so we still do hill repeats, but it's <laughs> within moderation. By, right. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's that's another big thing. I don't hate myself every time I go for a workout. So it's it doesn't last <laughs> over two hours. So that's. It's been a a blessing to take it easy. So talk about under him, the anatomy of a week. You you gave us the description before when you were overdoing it. So what would a, a typical marathon training block, block week look like for you under him? Mm-hmm. So that's also another big thing is there's really no specific marathon training. I, and I, you know, mentioned this at one point, but we never had any marathon specific pace work. And I, that's the same with, you know, racing the mile or the 3k or the 5k, everything is built off the same philosophy. So, you, you know, we will have standard fartlicks throughout the week. Um, we'll do two workouts a week and the long run and it's very very easy and manageable workouts and uh it, it it keeps me healthy and it keeps my mental uh, outlook on running um positive and it keeps me fresh so i can hit paces and workouts all the time and i i don't feel burnt out and um 
usually after the season, I'm just so mentally checked out or burnt out on, of running that I, I just have to take a couple of weeks off. But in on Tom's training, I'm I'm still fresh. I'm not burnt out. I'm I'm still mentally engaged with running, and uh, I don't have to take the same amount of time off just because we're not burning the candle from both ends. But yeah, I, I guess at a high level, we're we, you know we'll do standard fart licks and uh, just try to touch um, many components of of running, whether it's anything from the 800 on up to half marathon pace. Hmm. So talk about maybe a sample workout with him. Um. So I, Tom, Tom has, has, uh, you know, pushed me to be, you know, sort of elusive with our training. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair but, enough. Uh, but, you know, the, the core, core premise of the things is, is, is just fart licks, you know, yep. um, we'll have standard 10 K or 5 K pace stuff. And then, um, based on the effort, we'll, we'll have, you know, uh, some sort of rest that is based off of our efforts. Um, yeah. and, it, and it's all effort based. It's not prescribing specific times. It's, um, this is the type of effort. And so that really considers, uh, you know, you could be feeling a little under the weather or maybe it's hot outside and you need to run a little bit slower. Or maybe it's windy outside and you need to run a little bit slower, or maybe you're feeling good and you can run a little bit faster. So, it's all uh, perception based as well, too. And I've heard you describe your easy runs as super easy. I think mm-hmm. somebody mentioned that they were stalking you on Strava and saw some seven minute mile days on those easy days. Oh, yeah. Is that a big part of it, too? Just keeping it easy when you should? Yeah. But so take the easy days easy and the hard days hard. And I definitely listen to my body on the easy days and some days i'll run 650 pace some days i'll run 730 pace even this morning my first mile was 750 and i don't think i got maybe my fastest mile was like a 715 or something like that it's you just got to listen to your body and uh, really take advantage of those easy days so i i i love that part about uh, training too and this is a guy for reference to the audience that can run five minutes per mile for a marathon or at least close to it at this point. So yeah, you're yeah, running, yeah. you know, two to three minutes slower on your easy days per mile, which oh, yeah, absolutely. you have to do to get the effort right. And yeah. it's, it's interesting as a coach myself, it's hard for people to understand that concept because it seems counterproductive or counterintuitive, this idea that you have to run easy in order to run fast. But it's really all about that recovery element that you were kind of alluding to earlier that you were doing wrong before, which is that, Hey, you got to recover in order to be able to get the best out of those workout days. And then of course, race day when it matters. Yeah. That, and for me, that was the hardest thing for me to grasp because, you know, we have all these social media platforms where you see people doing these big monster workouts and you feel like you need to be doing that too. And that's, that's the, the black hole that I fell into during college, I was, and and my coach kept prescribing like these 20 minute workouts or these 15 minute workouts. And I'm like, this is, this, there's, this is way too easy. This is, there's no way 
that anybody does this and 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 that's what we were doing in college and i'm like i'm i'm not about to run a 20 minute workout and call it a day and so i started prescribing myself workouts and I just took it to a whole nother level that nobody's body is capable of handling and uh, and i mean tom's training iterates that it's i mean like the workouts are extremely easy and it's just building off of the base that you have and that's the the beauty of distance running is whoever can stay healthy the longest and whoever does it the longest and um can just keep being deliberate about building your engine um you're going to have the best results and it's not about doing these monster workouts that break down the body that take months to recover and that's sort of the game plan behind why we're not running another marathon until 2020 is if i were to run another marathon we would have a phase of you know tapering for a month and then after the marathon i would it would take me about a month or at least 26 days to to recover from the marathon i'm i'm still recovering like my body is still not normal from this marathon and that takes away from the training or the fitness that I could be building. And that's the same thing with workouts. If you do these big 10 mile, 13 mile workouts, you're going to need 10 to 13 days to recover. Whereas if you have these small workouts, um, you can recover within the day and then, you know, maybe do something the next day, or you can get two days of recovery and be really fresh for the next workout. And, um, that's, that's, what's most important. Yeah. It's so important. I always tell athletes who get in the rut of doing two marathons to two marathons a year that that can be a challenge for long-term development because it is so disruptive. Running a marathon is so disruptive to your training that you have the taper, as you mentioned, and then the recovery afterwards, it, even if you're doing a little bit of running in both of those phases, it still takes you out of that real training mode. And so I often encourage people to mix it up with different race distances so that they don't have that big, what could be, you know, six weeks of not ideal training around the race itself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about CIM. You won the U.S. Marathon Championship. A lot of people afterwards, or at least when you won, they said, who is Brogan Austin? Who is this guy? You weren't on the radar screen, so to speak, in terms of the pre-race favorites that everybody was talking about. And yet your coach and ultimately you called your shot. You, you, you know, your coach told you you can win this thing. You said in a blog that you shared with Rabbit, your apparel sponsor that your your goal is to win this thing and it seemed like you genuinely believed that you could win so talk about that mentality where did it come from yeah it's it's all attributed to the training and then even having race performances and just knowing what my body was capable of and beginning to understand um what i was capable of and then also researching you know, the field that I was competing against and also the, the past results of, of CIM and knowing that my body and uh, capabilities were, were all within that window. 
And I, I think it was after the um, Indianapolis half marathon, uh, the monumental half marathon, that I really truly believed that I could win the race. And uh, I remember my agent called me after the race, and that's when I, f- I, f- I first committed to it. I hadn't even talked to my coach yet at that point, but he, he was like, how, how are you feeling about the race? And um, I, w- I was just super excited. And I couldn't believe that I uncovered the fitness at the level that I had. And I remember telling him, well, I guess he asked me, he's like, so what are you thinking now? Like, what, what are your goals for, for CIN? And I was, uh, I'm like, well, this changes things. Like, this is this is big time. Like, I could definitely be top five. I, I even could see myself, I could see myself winning the race. Like, there's no, there's no reason I can't compete with with those guys and 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 run a fast time. And uh, my when after I talked to my coach, I I kept asking my coach, I'm like, hey what do you, what do you think I could run for the marathon? Like, what are, what are your thoughts? And he's like, well, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. We'll, we'll talk about that down the road. Let's, let's not worry about that now. And so, so we were just focusing on training, focusing on training. And I kept asking him because at this point, I, everything that man said was, was gold. And I wanted to wait here, <laughs> what his opinions were. And if he told me I could win, then that's, that's really what I wanted to hear. Or just him to tell me that I could run, um, some obnoxiously fast time. And, uh, he's like, talk to me when it's a week about the race. He's like, I don't, I don't like talking about it until a week before the race. And he's like, I don't want to get you, you know, out of your funk. And so I waited to about a week before the race. I'm like, Hey man, can we, can we talk? Can we, can we chat about this? It's like, well, what would you, what would you like to know? I, I told him what, what pace, like what, uh, you know, what do you think I can run? If it's the perfect day, what what do you think my time will be? And he, and he told me, I think you can run a 210, 28. And I think at mile 21, you're going to be with, with the lead pack. And you're going to start pulling, like people are going to start getting tired and you're going to hold the pace and you're just going to start pulling away from people. And I think you can win. And... <laughs> I, I just got super excited. I'm like, the the man himself said I can win. So I started <laughs> texting everybody, took a screenshot. I'm like, Tom said I can win. Like, you guys, like, I, I remember I told my friends and I told my family, told my brother. I was like, like, uh, you know, him and I are competitive about everything. So, like, I, I don't know. I was just, I was just so, so pumped. And uh, when, when he reassured me that I had a shot to win, that's when I, that's when I really started puffing my chest out, and um, I think it was like a day or two after. That's when the Rabbit blog post uh, they requested, you know, a couple words about myself and then what my goals were for CIM. And I was still in the heated moment, so I wrote down, "I'm gonna win." I I, I just said, uh, "It's." I think the the question was, "What is your goal for CIM or the USA Marathon Championships?" And I just said, "Win." Period. And uh, a very arrogant. That's not my demeanor at all. Like I'm the <laughs> least cocky. I am a reserved and quiet man. Uh, so that was like the most cocky thing I think I've I've probably ever done. Some people would probably argue that, but uh, I I felt super guilty as soon as I submitted it. But I I, I had to live with it. And uh, 
ultimately it worked out and uh looks pretty cool hindsight <laughs> yeah so it's one thing to believe that it's another thing to live it out on the start line mm-hmm. you get to the start line you'd had a crappy week being sick with sinus infection and and having you know issues all week trying to stay healthy and get good sleep but you show up at the starting line you follow the plan but the plan plays out a little bit unique in that Matt Yano went off the front and sort of created a gap there while you remained with the second pack. I think one of the more impressive things for me is that even with that goal in mind, you were able to stay patient, follow the plan that Tom had laid out for you, and then and ultimately execute it, not really knowing that you would have him come back to you. So talk about that in self, that itself within the race. How did you stay patient and then ultimately have the confidence to go for the 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 passes at the end mm-hmm. that so that was really tough for me too is you know brogan has the ego and i i have learned to trust my coach and i mean he's earned that trust for sure and he told me to take it easy the, the first half of the race and then really push it the second half of the race and so when matt went off within the first mile I, I thought to myself like i can i can definitely beat him i should go with him he's still running 210 pace uh but i i really refreshed myself and said that the goal is sub is 66 minutes for the first half so let's sit back and um i you know from my uh olympic trials experience i had lived the aftermath of blowing up the second half so i understood that i needed to take it easy and that the marathon is not a beast to play around with so and and i also had um you know the results from last year i knew parker stinson had taken it taken it out uh hot early and ended up blowing up so i had that playing in the back of my mind too and of not getting too anxious too early and then just running a smart race and 212 um fared pretty well i guess it was two it was barely under 212 was the winner last year so if i went out in 66 and ran that exact same race i had a good shot of winning and so it was primarily thanks to tom telling me to relax and who knows maybe maybe if i would have went with matt i would have been able to hold that pace because uh, I, I did have a lot left there at the end uh but it, it, it did take a big piece of, you know, taking the race out of my hands and listening to my coach and um, just really trusting the process to, to get through that. Describe the feelings at the finish line. I mean, you passed Matt with about 600 meters to go, absolutely flying at that point. You know, you, you said you ran a 444, 445 mile to catch him at the end and you get to the line first and really you know this is the redemption from the chip on the shoulder that we talked about that you've been believing was possible now for a long time and staying with it to see it actually play out that way has to be hugely fulfilling so what did you feel at the end uh to be honest confusion i i didn't really believe it was happening when it was happening and it, it honestly, it was the weirdest feeling ever. I, it just felt like a dream. Like 
it wasn't actually happening and I was about to wake up from a dream and for it, all this success to happen in the short amount of time that it did has just been, I don't know, it's just been super weird. It's almost like one of those Seabiscuit sea biscuit or something story that <laughs> Disney under, movie. Yeah. Like a Disney movie. Like you can't make this stuff up. Like I've, I've been a loser all these years and then I come out of nowhere and won a national championship and that, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't put it into words. It was just a, a, a different type of shock that I've never felt before. And I, I looked back like three or four times because I was just waiting for somebody to pass me or uh, it was it was just a weird and surreal experience. And even after I crossed the finish line, I didn't even know what to think. I, like I've, I, I wanted to be super ecstatic and, and super happy. But I, I, and like part of me was still like, man, this, did this really happen? Like this is this is so weird and uh it's it's still like a super you know just awesome experience and i'm still trying to wrap my head around it and be excited about it and uh it's it's i don't know it's just been an awesome ride was tom there uh he wasn't there um but i so, called him imme- immediately well, after the race. what was that conversation like so Tom is a very busy man. He's got a lot on his plate. He's actually getting his doctorate from University of Chicago. So he was in all day classes at the time. And I called him and he's he was like, uh, hey, great job. Uh, super proud of you. Take three days off and then we'll get back at it. And then he, he's like, I got I got to go, though. <laughs> so he was like, it was like a 30 second. He he had like a we had like a thirty second or a minute conversation, but uh, I you know it was understanding. He he was in in class, and uh, I appreciate him picking up for me. He's like three days off, and then back to work. Yeah, I, and I was like three days. I'm like, how about a couple weeks? Yeah, right. It's like, <laughs> what was the conversation like with your with your dad? Uh, it it, it was awesome. I they they're. Like I said, they they always have tried to feel me out as to when they can be happy for me or when they can, you know, give me my space of I need to mull over this this loss or this poor performance. And um, when I when I first called them, I think they they were still sort of reserved in their response, trying to trying to feel me out as to to how things went and. and it, they, I, they, they are just, they are, are super proud. And, and now there's, there's nothing better than making your parents proud because they, they grew, you know, you grow up with them and they, they give you everything and there's nothing better to, to give something back to them and, you know, make them proud. And it's, I don't know, it's, a, it's just a super rewarding feeling just to, to have something like that or to share with other people and i don't know it's i don't know it's just it's just a great feeling your brother has a high bar to meet now (laughs) (laughs) he 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 actually said that i think he he made some some silly post and said 
we've been competing all of our lives and uh he finally went up to me again and and uh I, I called him after the race and he's like you know what you can just have running i'll i'll just support you and running and uh, <laughs> i'll take everything else though <laughs> that's, that's awesome yeah. So so afterwards, you go back to work in Des Moines as an IT project manager, but but how has life changed? And are you thinking about a transition to potentially training full time? Yeah. So I have extremely supportive coworkers, and um, they they always are interested and supportive in how I do. And they we actually have a group text, and everybody was reaching out to me and telling me congrats and I appreciate them a lot. Um, but I actually sat down with my boss and we had it, you know, heart to heart and talked about my, my running and, and where I wanted to go. And, uh, we, I actually got the approval from her to, to work remotely. So, um, that's a, that, that's a recent surfacing here. And, uh, so now we're we're taking it to HR to see if we can we can validate that and maybe open up some more doors and potentially move out to Boulder and and train with the, the Tim and Elite group out there. So uh, haven't haven't made any concrete decisions, but uh, you know having the conversations to see what my options are and you know the the possibilities are are limitless at this point. That's cool. Mm-hmm. These are good problems to have. <laughs> uh, exactly. A yeah. lot of problems, but not bad problems. Yeah. So, you know, the, the men's marathon team for the U.S. is much talked about. Galen Rupp is obviously the favorite, but he's coming back from a big Achilles surgery. You never know where he's going to get over the next 14 months. And then beyond that, it's sort of wide open on the, the men's side for those two, those second and third spots. And you know, with your results in in Sacramento, you have to be on a list, a short list now of of men with a chance to make an Olympic team. So, as you think about Atlanta in 2020, what do you think the pieces are for you to get a spot on the team? Yeah. So, I, the the biggest thing is building as much fitness as I can from now until 2020, and that's that's been our core focus and that's that's why we aren't running the marathon again until 2020 and maybe that will be a hindrance to me but um you know i've i've dabbled in the the marathon twice now and i believe i've figured out my nutrition and so the biggest thing is to be as fit as possible and um i spoke to tom and he thinks i can be in 209 shape if i you know, eliminate the marathon and focus on his training for, for the next year. And if I'm in 209 shape, that's, I think that's good enough to, to make the team. It'll it'll be a competitive day, but I also, um, have Tom as my coach who allows me to be uh, an athlete at any distance. And that's, that's one of the huge benefits of his training is I, I can be fast at any distance ranging from the mile on up to the marathon and so on race day however the the race pans out i'm going to be able to to match or or compete with any of the runners and so that's another big component is understanding who my competitors are and what their strengths are and then as the race begins to unfold um knowing who's 
in the race still and um, playing to their weaknesses. And so uh, there's there's a lot to to figure out, a lot to discover. And but the main piece is trying to become as fit as I can over over the next year and some months. And so if if my audience wants to to look out for you on a start line soon, what what's next? <laughs> so I giggle at this, but my season opener for the spring is the the Washington Preview 3K, and that's in about two weeks. And so <laughs> I marathon to 3K that makes exactly sense. yeah the, a great <laughs> transition, a great segue. Uh, so I'm still trying to bounce back from my marathon, but uh, we're gonna hop into the 3K here in, in, in a couple weeks and I, i'm personally curious to see how it will pan out i'm super interested um i'm not excited for the 3k pain uh but it'll be it'll be fun to you know race some some college kids and uh hopefully try to get a pr try to try to get rid of that 2013 pr of 810 um and so that that'll be fun and then uh i'll i'll hop back on the roads and uh, probably do some cross country. I may do the USA cross country championships, the 15K championships, the half marathon championships. And then I also want to do, uh, I want to run a fast 10K and a fast 5K. I'm trying to get rid of those, you know, 2013 mm-hmm. PRs. You got to get rid of those. So um, doing a little bit of everything. Awesome. Well, Brogan, we appreciate you joining us. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your journey, and we'll be cheering in 2019 and certainly 2020, hoping you get a spot on that team. Hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate the questions, and uh, I look forward to keeping you all in the loop. So there you go, Mr. Brogan Austin, U.S. Marathon champion. Pretty cool story about how he came back from being buried by overtraining to put the pieces together under his new coach. Hopefully you found some insights that you can apply in your world. Thanks for listening. This has been episode 106 of the Running Rogue podcast. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.